Hey, glad you could make it. It's the second episode of Red IO, the tech talk show podcast that we put on here at Red Academy. Super cool, impact focused tech and design school. Uh, this week we had the chance to sit down with Mackenzie Kieran. He is the lead app dev instructor here. Super smart dude, as well as Jess Fermanski, a very woke individual. And we're lucky to say our marketing coordinator here at Red in Vancouver. We got to chatting about the future of education as well as the social impact of startups in regards to recycling. I don't really think that we reached much of a consensus on some of the issues, uh, but some really interesting ideas jumping around. So I hope you guys enjoy it. If you're liking the music playing below me, this week we've got Scratch the Itch by Quinces Marrera. Enjoy the episode and I'll talk to you at the end. No, we're already recording. We've already started the show. I've been recording for 47 seconds. That's okay. We're going to edit it out. No one will ever know those 47 seconds happened except for you. I think you should keep them. So what do you, what have you got for us, Chris? Well, uh, <clears throat> I've got a couple questions for us here and we're going to kind of do a little deep dive. We're going to get some interesting perspectives. Um, on the show, we like to get a someone with a bit of a design background or some experience and a little bit of a dev person and maybe a digital marketer or two if we could find one. Uh, stick them in a room and talk about things in the, the tech world and we like to make our lives just a little more difficult by adding a little challenge uh, to those things. So, who have I got here today? It's uh, Dear Sweet Mac, tell us about yourself. That's very flattering, thank you. I, I am sweet. Um, so I'm, I'm the lead instructor in the AppDev program at Red. I've been a developer for probably seven years and I've been at, at teaching at Red for three years. Alright, and uh, Jess, what do you know about things? Um, I know some things about some stuff, um, not too much about everything, but a little bit here and there. I'm the marketing coordinator at Red. I uh, play a role in finding students for the school and encouraging people to come and take the next step in their education. That's what I like about Red. I like encouraging informal education and encouraging education that is relevant to 2018. Um, so I like what I'm doing here. I think I'll stick around. Cool. Um, and yeah, and I'm a digital marketing instructor, uh, if, if you haven't listened to another episode that I'm on. And of course my name is Chris, and I'm happy to hang out as well. Uh, yeah, awesome. So guys, let's just dive right in, and it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. It is weird. Yeah, you can just, just lift it up a post-it note that says, how much can I swear? Uh, she, she's a little bit concerned, and the answer is, feel free. Great. This is not a kid show. Fucking Peppa great. Pig is not one of our guests today. <laughs> we are able to speak as freely as we like. Um, anything violently uh, bigoted that comes out of your mouth, I'll make sure it doesn't make the cut. <laughs> but I'm confident that that's not the way this is going to oh, go. That was my whole. That was going to be my whole thing. It was going to be 15 minutes of questions, <laughs> open discussion, and then just. 15 minutes of Mac being huge rant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't worry, you'll get a chance to go on a big rant today. I promise. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, guys, let's uh, get into it today. What we're gonna kind of discuss first, and I just want to get your guys' opinions. Um, what will back to school look like in twenty twenty five? What do you guys think? So my favorite my favorite part about going back to school was always going to like the stationery shops and buying new notebooks and new pens and new glue sticks. Even though I would only use it once during the year and then lose it immediately. Um, I think. Going back to school in 2025 is going to, we'll see a lot more schools 
requesting that students bring um, digital devices, so like no, like notebooks, but laptop notebooks, but not <laughs> surfaces, <laughs> iPads, laptops, um, and I think there's some positive things involved in that. I think that's the way the direction is moving. I, do, I hardly write these days. I I'm doing everything on my computer. However, I think that's going to contribute to like a growing disparity between socioeconomic levels, right? Like not schools in New Zealand. I'm from New Zealand. I'll mention um, schools in New Zealand are starting to request that students, all students, have laptops, um, even down to like the most basic schools and socio, like the most, the least well-off socioeconomic areas. And I think there's a huge problem associated with that because it puts parents in a really difficult position, especially considering. Like, I wouldn't have been comfortable asking my parents for a laptop, especially there was three of us yeah. all going through school at the same time. Um, I think back to school might start showing people, like, more of a split. It's not going to come down to what you're wearing on your first day of school. It's going to come down to the kids who have the laptop and the kids who don't have the laptop. But I think we're potentially looking at a pretty bleak future <laughs> in that regard. All right. You got a dark that's turn. Not to, that's not to say it's all completely negative but I think that's one aspect of what going back to school might mm. look like in a couple of years time yeah education definitely has that um, you know access to education definitely depends on your income level at the moment to especially in the traditional system I think back to school um, I think there, there's a divide in terms of income at the moment but I think the real divide that's going to happen in the future is going to be between people who uh, are taking their education through the traditional systems and people who are taking their education through uh, non-traditional uh, means and today that kind of looks like the internet right so you can you can go online and I would argue that you could do your whole high school curriculum online by yourself with a single tutor and you know, you would miss out on the, the high school social interactions, but in terms of actually gaining knowledge um, and expertise, that can be done on the internet now um, if you're resourceful enough. So that's what I think. Back to school in the future is going to be like, uh, maybe there won't be a back to school anymore. Well, maybe you'll just be in school all the time. And, uh, you know, life is school. Well, school is life. It is actually. And in fact, you know, having the freedom to decide when you, um, what 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 is the right time for you to to take your education in hand and sort of schedule it yourself and decide on the course of things yourself and right now that's very much a reality it's just hasn't been a reality for very long right consider how long youtube's been out and how and and sort of like how long it's taken uh, content creators to sort of adopt it as a platform and and then after that, uh, educators. So we're, we're just at the beginning of, of this idea, and I'm not, not mean to suggest that schools will be conducted on YouTube. I just mean um, this idea of showing up for a school uh, and sitting in a classroom and, and being in that environment for you know, however many months and then going on summer vacation and then coming back and going to school, I think that's going to go away. And I think probably for the better, too. No mm -hmm. more vacation. No more vacation. Well, because... Well, You're vacation at any time you want to take vacation, right? So, so all the vacation. <laughs> Always vacation. Fantastic. Okay, so I'm going to just throw something in just to make our lives a little bit more difficult. And this has so far been, I think, a very interesting conversation. I'm really interested in kind of your perspectives. And you both seem to have, um, there, there's some overlap, definitely, in kind of the ways you're thinking. And maybe I'll give my two cents as well. Uh, but we're going to throw in a little, like a wrench into the mix. Is that an expression that people say? 
Spanner in the works. Spanner in the works. It's yeah. not an expression that I'm familiar with. Well, but a spanner in the works, but you're not familiar with. It. You're familiar with a wrench in the works, but not a uh, wrench in the mix, but not a spanner in the spanner works. Spanner is the New Zealand word for wrench, so. It... Spanner. Mm-hmm. Not familiar. Well, that's my. This is back to school right here. Where for the me. fuck am I? Some percentage. Some percentage of the listeners is just like. Wrench? You could look it up online. <laughs> Everybody knows what a wrench is. We're familiar with synonyms. Okay, <laughs> Chris. Um, so for the just until we get to the end of this topic of this discussion question, um, this was again Rob's submission. So cool. Uh, every time you start speaking, so say like I'll say something like, "Oh, Max, oh, I have to my, I have something to add in." You have to say uh, you have to start your statement with Simon says. Simon so says. Okay. Talk about back to school. So we're gonna, that's going to be starting right now. Um, so Simon says that I think that when you go back to school, um, yeah, I agree. Like there's is, is like a huge kind of social aspect to it that I think a lot of people who maybe were homeschooled or who choose to go an alternative kind of academic route going forward as those things, those avenues become more commonplace and available. Um, yeah, something that I think people are going to miss out on greatly. And I think it's going to be big loss in that people are going to have trouble uh, uh, developing, you know, like soft skills, you know, right when you're in kind of just like a tutor environment. That's yeah. something that I think lacks a little bit. Simon, Simon says, um, I, I, I'll disagree. I think that's the limited uh, way of looking at things, right? So you say you free uh, education from this, the institution, the physical location of the school. It doesn't mean that if, if you're taking your education, you're learning specific subjects online that you'll therefore forfeit all, any and all social, social interaction. In fact, what could end up happening is some of the, the social aspects of schools can then be separated from the school and sort of invoked on their own, right? Like so, gym class, for example. So instead of having a gym class taught by a gym instructor at a school with questionable credentials, you have specialized gyms that you can go to if you're a certain age or uh, training programs that creates opportunities, right? Um, socializing, so maybe you have uh, venues where uh, kids can go to do the things that they would do in drama class or there are centers where you can go to learn computers or things like that. So uh, just because schools move away from the traditional physical location that you go to, you know, you, you arrive there at nine, you leave at three, um, you take your lunch with you, if that goes away, I, I think it, it actually frees up um, the, the kind of the prejudice that goes along with it. The, the people's ex, the expectation that people have of, uh, around what education can be like or what a learning environment can be like, right? Simon says this. Really interesting. Um, cool. Jess, what do, you, what do you kind of think about? What's your two cents on that? Simon says that I think that's an interesting concept. I don't know if we'll get there in the next seven years. I think like I think long term I can definitely imagine that happening I think it's quite similar to how we see um, the future when we think about robots taking over jobs for example Um, I don't know people talk about like when we automate our jobs we'll have more time to pursue um, hobbies yeah literally activities and hobbies and things that we want to do but rent is never going to be free. Groceries are never going to be free unless the socialist revolution happens. But things are never going to be free. And so pursuing leisurely activities, like there's no, currently there's no money in that. So unless things like drastically change, I think it ties into what you were saying about, so you've got 
school available online or lessons available online and um, dedicated places where students will go to socialize like youth groups and hobby clubs and gyms and stuff like that but then I think it'll come down to the parents and the students deciding to schedule themselves in there's a lot of things I would not be interested in or that I would not be involved in if school hadn't introduced me to these things that I like didn't really want to do at first but now I really see the value and like you know I learned games at school that I some games during gym class I hated but some games I actually really enjoyed and I pursued them further and a student or a parent kind of given the choice to like well should I enroll my kid in gym class of their own accord like voluntarily I think we're gonna see a huge drop off in like what we see what you see them now is kind of like extracurricular like gym class and youth groups and hobby groups and everything like that I think when it's kind of left up to the child to figure out what they want on their own without institutions introducing these new ideas in like a structured way some students are never going to be going to be exposed to um, ideas or interests if it's like like left up to them what would be required is like an entirely different structure where um, like society makes sure that we're introducing these things to our kids but when it's left up to the parents and left up to the children I think we're going to see like way fewer kids getting involved in things and like if they're left to choose to socialize in a structured gym class or a structured youth group um I think we're gonna s- I don't think it's gonna be as common as we'd like like it to be sure yeah like Simon says <laughs> did I, am I doing that right yeah <laughs> it feels like um <clears throat> that wasn't they never did that in debate uh, club and I never took debate club. I'm just making. Then how would you know? Simon says you wouldn't know. Then we'll just edit that last part. Out. So Simon, Simon says, says some kids might never be introduced to debate class. Yeah, Simon says um, I, th- there's some interesting ideas in there. Uh, like the first one about automation and people having more leisure time. Uh, to me, maybe that's like that's the reason why you have to send your kid to. Um, a school building is because you don't have time to be there to be that person in their life who gives them that exposes them to those kinds of things mm-hmm. uh, like you said like um, you got exposed to this sort of this idea of uh, social games or, or whatever it is at school and that that had an effect on the rest of your life but, um, but realize that your perhaps your parents were less inclined to have you in that building because they knew that you would mm. you know be introduced to something that would like take you on a journey for the rest of your life and more because they just couldn't really didn't have the time or the wherewithal or the energy to um, provide those things themselves or to you know to literally to just take care of you during the day so Simon says yeah I agree um, I think that's also why like summer camps are really common as well because parents need someone to send their kid for however many hours a day that's not to say that like parents it's now becoming like, the, the sole responsibility of parents like it's great to send your kids away from from the home and get them socializing i'm just there's a for me there's a disconnect between the necessity of having a physical school building and that actually still being something that you get to experience as a kid like you know um maybe it's hard to imagine because there isn't anything really mm-hmm. like that summer camps would be a close approximation for me but you know imagine there were camps that you could take all, all year about any topic, right? Or retreats or... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm sort of like... The, the school... So where I'm coming from is I sort of see this... The, um, 
this is the education system that we're probably all familiar with, which is like you go to elementary school and then there's a break and then you go to high school mm -hmm. and then there's a break and then you figure out which university you're going to go to. It's very, very like, um, so, so very industrial, right? Um, and it turns out that the history of these institutions has a lot to do with like manufacturing good citizens and uh, imbuing uh, students with like the ideology of the state. I'm not saying that it's in most high schools your teachers probably aren't intentionally doing Simon that. says revolution. Well, but there is, that, that is the reasons why some of these systems exist are, are not, um, they're maybe not premised on the, the kinds of things that you uh, sort of benign or, or uh, you know, high-minded ideas like, oh, we need to educate our children. It's more like, oh, we need a place to store our children and make sure they become good, good citizens. Um, and, and, you know, to guarantee that this whole thing keeps moving forward. So when I'm, yeah, that's yeah. Sort of where I'm coming from. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still exploring that idea. I think it's, there's something there. I think I do, when I think about my own high school education, very much I feel it was, it was a highly industrialized process. We even, down to the, down to, um, sort of this idea that we're all wearing uniforms and we're mm -hmm. meant to be sort of like clones of each other in, in certain ways and certainly in the information that we're all being given, right? So break out of that and then the, the world becomes a like more interesting place mm -hmm. with people with more diverse ideas, a place where um, parents are more involved with their, um, their students, the, a place where the state has less control over the types of education people are allowed to seek out, things like that become real possibilities if you just do away with that. Mm -hmm. The idea of this, uh, the, the school as a, as a babysitting uh, business. Simon says that uh, sounds a lot like passing the buck. And uh, yeah, it's a very kind of neoliberal like, approach that you're taking. Uh, sure, well, right. Neo like from the Matrix. Or exactly, <laughs> okay. Neo from the Matrix, if he ran for the uh, like a leadership spot in the liberal party. Um, it's a very political show here, guys. Uh, interesting. Okay, just anything else to kind of add to that? I like. I don't. I, I. Simon says. I don't disagree. I think it's like a really interesting idea to explore, and I definitely agree that schools were kind of born out of the idea that we need someone to store our children for however many hours a day and then you know after school programs and even before school programs are born out of the idea that parents are having to work more and more and more so, like um but yeah i think that's a really interesting idea to explore the idea once we do completely reorganize how society is even shaped then we start to do away with like the industrial way that we see education and work yeah, exactly. When you're talking about the two things, kind of, it's yeah, it's interesting. The like the larger picture, the things that influence the way uh, a culture, or society conducts their education, right? It has mm. to do with, you know, has a lot to do with the economy. It's not just about mm. knowledge and learning and things like that. It's about yeah, what each individual citizen's responsibility is to the to the, and to you know, the and, state. Yeah, and the, and the, the things like cost of living and and class, like we talked about in the beginning, things like that. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, this might be, Simon says. Simon says, we're moving on, guys. We're moving on yeah. to the next thing. So I do have uh, one other conversation topic here submitted by a Kevin. Uh, I don't think it's the Kevin you guys are thinking of. Kevin Spacey. Is it um, Kevin that's not on the website yet? Not Kevin. Uh, no, it's, uh, I think it might just be a different Kevin completely. So we've got a Kevin here. No social media profile attached to this uh, submission, so can't credit him properly, but all the Kevins out there. This one's for you. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. Um, so we're going to ask, uh, we're going to discuss whether recycling 
can be improved significantly by tech startups in the immediate future. And every single time you say the word plastic, you're gonna get a nice slap on the hand. Just a hard slap on the hand, so. Well, that's a friggin' pivot, isn't it? That's a little... I don't think so. I think... I don't think tech startups can improve recycling. I think they can improve downcycling. I think they can... Startups are looking at how can we use um, old, empty, big pens to create lawn chairs, right? But that's not reusing it's reusing that same plastic but it's turning into like oh, put your hand out there sir ma'am make it make a noise <laughs> that was a lie ow my <laughs> hand <laughs> um sorry I'm not comfortable we don't condone violence take two oh, very yes. violent sounds yeah in the spirit of the game a light tap alright listen <laughs> I think they can do they can go a long way into creating solutions for downcycling, but I think improvements to recycling need to come from the top down, from government infrastructure improving how we dispose of our Absolutely. I think so, too. It's the plastic... Um, the, the pollution problem, um, which has to do with um, the material, which starts with the P which is made from hydrocarbons. Um, <laughs> we'll just refer to, to it as hydrocarbonites from here on <laughs> going forward. It's a free market disaster, right? It's one of these things that you can't um, regulate it without... I mean, the, the birth of... The reason why there's so much pollution is because of the free market, right? So you get... Mm-hmm. Um, plastic is, a, is an amazing material. Um, we all know it. We all love it. It's in everything that we use. Think about it. Look around. Take a look around you. Um, and imagine a world without all of the of the of the, the things in it. The hydrocarbonites. The, uh, the, 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 the hydrocarbon-based material <laughs> products. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're we're at a point now where, I mean, recycling takes up resources as well too, right? You have to mm-hmm. move things around, and I mean, unless they find a way of chemically converting one material to another less harmful material, mm-hmm. something like that, like it's going to be science which will. And, and and this is the classic dilemma of is science, like, is there a market demand for not plastic, right? And at the moment, probably there isn't, right? Because it's in, it's plastic is this really cheap material and there's not really too many. So this is, it's really hard to talk about plastic. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean I failed? Uh, maybe to keep slapping you until yeah, your hand falls off. <laughs> Okay, so it, it's worth it. So we, we need to advocate for, um, yeah, laws to be made. I think it's one of these things that I can't think of an example in the past of a problem that is has this kind of global scale. Like the entire ocean is, is filling up with plastic. Um, it's um, where the, where a solution has been arrived at, um, like by, by the global community. Maybe the nuclear arms race would be an example of a, of a time when everybody came together and agreed that, like, okay, probably we probably shouldn't do that, but it, it's tough for me to think of a, a historical precedent for this problem as well, too. So startups can make a dent in it, probably, but are they going to solve it? It's, are, like, you know, they're, they're sort of second in, in, in the line, right? It's going to be scientists first, and those scientists are going to have to be getting paid by other research yeah, uh, universities uh, who are funded by... Obviously, um, 
you know, large corporations, uh, or they'll have to be a, a business out there which is willing to pay for that, that research, right? So it's kind of a, yeah. a tough spot. I'd also like to know that I'm cynical that there will be a solution made unless there's money to be made from that solution, right? Yeah, so sort of, yeah. design, when we design solutions for, um, say, congestion on the road, right? There's money to be made in that with Uber and with Lyft, which I will add has added more cars to the road. But there's money to be made in that, but there's no money to be made in um, solving homelessness, for example. And unless there's big money to be made in um, solutions to waste and how we're not disposing of it properly, um, there, uh, there will be a stagnation and there won't be a motivation. And I also... I think it's important. I'll, I will refuse a straw as much as the next person, right? And over the last couple months, I have, like, been more active and been really and refusing straws and being really appreciative when, um, like, a waitress brings a drink and it doesn't have a straw in it. However, I think we need to be really vigilant when, um, with a problem like recycling and plastic, we. Just kidding. <laughs> with a problem it's like that, when we're being told that there's something we can do to solve such a huge global issue just by refusing straws and plastic bags, they are like the first step. But, and to not get too paranoid here, but what I'm trying to get at is that we're being distracted from the bigger issue. And the bigger issue is like legislation and um, developing countries that don't have the infrastructure to deal with this and developed governments that aren't doing enough to help developing countries implement the infrastructure. And when we're being told that it's our fault because we're drinking straws, and I know it's like 7 billion people using straws, but when we're told it's... When we're told we can make such great change by making such small impact, I don't believe that. Yeah. And I think we need to be really vigilant of the government and the media trying to distract us from the fact that it's their responsibility to make a step, to take a step and to start doing something. Yeah, it's a, certainly it's a piece of the puzzle, like for the consumer to be more conscious of their choices, but it's not the full solution. And in fact, in, in many cases, it can be a distraction. Like, you know, I get a I certain, think it's a distraction, yeah. yeah. I get a certain sense of... Uh, moral uh, set, um, feeling like I'm doing the right thing when I put my materials in the recycling bin, mm. uh, when in fact the difference that that's making is, is arguably marginal, marginal, and there's no other, there's nothing else happening, right? It's really just recycling. So yeah, it's kind of a controversial opinion to, to trash recycling. I, I found that like when I reveal that, I feel like that way to my friends, um, I get a lot of pushback because they're like, just recycle, you know, it's just, just do it. But how many of them can tell you where that recycling then goes? And like, I'm sure your friends and my friends are very educated and know where recycling should go, but how many of us have followed, um, you know, a lunchbox to yeah, the end of the road? Yeah, is recycling actually as ethical as we think it is? Um, yeah, I'd be, I bet you would be surprised to find out. And does, you know, and recycling programs that exist in developing uh, countries, are they as comprehensive? It's a global problem, yeah. CFCs, actually, that's, that's an example <laughs> yeah, of yeah, yeah. Uh, an environmental problem that business agreed that we shouldn't erase the ozone layer. That would probably be bad for business, and they stopped. So I think it's only a matter of time before there's a reckoning, before people start to... Um, maybe you'll, it'll, it'll start to manifest in, like, loss of fish stocks or... Um, you know, so ecosystem collapse in certain areas, which will rob people of their livelihoods before it's really gonna 
governments and business will come together and a lot and you know augment the citizens who are already practicing yeah. recycling doing the right thing and my question is so the me say the media the environmental media is focusing on plastics right and they're talking about <laughs> they're talking about um like ref refuse straws but i and i mean i haven't been in vancouver for that long i've been here for about five or six months now but i haven't seen any marketing messages that encourage me to cut down on my meat consumption and so in new zealand meat like agriculture is the hugest um industry so milk and meat dairy and milk dairy and meat production um and i had to write a i had to write an assignment on the fact that agriculture while it accounts for the hugest proportion of emissions in New Zealand is not included in the emissions training scheme. And there's a lot of pros and cons for that, um, but it was pretty disheartening to hear, and I really enjoyed writing that assignment. I got a B for it, and it destroyed me, but I really enjoyed writing that <laughs> assignment. Um, and so my... my Pierce the veil, you, you saw behind the... Oh my god, yeah. And But it, it was really disheartening, and my recommendations at the end of the assignment were the media needs to make it, make it more mainstream to be cutting down on meat consumption. And in New Zealand, meat is, you know, meat and three veg, meat and potatoes is a very common, like, meal. And it's also tied into masculine and rugby culture, which was, like, an entire can of worms that we could open Chicken one day. And yeah, and so, but no marketing messages and no, um, no media talking about cutting down on meat consumption. And I haven't seen that in Vancouver either. I've met a lot of people that are vegan and places are very vegan friendly, but what are we doing to make that more yeah, part of the conversation? Still in yeah. Vancouver, yeah. In addition to the straws conversation, I think the meat conversation should also be more part of um, the mainstream as well. But we also, that's, that's in addition to this conversation. Um, but I think they tie in very closely together. So we've got plastic in the ocean, we've got emissions in the atmosphere from agriculture and it's a whole holistic issue but we're talking about recycling right and to tie that kind of back to um so we we're asking okay like are startups gonna be able to make an impact on this and i think it's very interesting that you kind of broaden the scope of the discussion and that it doesn't doesn't just kind of end with one particular um like focused part of it i.e straws or even just meat or whatever it's a little bit of everything uh, and I think that maybe one of the flaws with uh, the belief uh, that, oh, yeah, there's, you know, startups, I think where this question probably came from is that there are a lot of startups that do, that are, that are impact focused. I think that's kind of, maybe mm. for better or for worse, has been kind of a trend in the marketplace. Uh, you look at companies like uh, Tentree, right? You know, they're, they're making an impact and they're environmentally focused and things like that. And I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, mm, no. right? I think that's cool that there became a market demand kind of emerged. Uh, and that consumers want people to do things like that. And they want every business to be attached to some kind of good cause, right? Where I think it gets perverted into just like, I don't know, like this like thinly veiled marketing ploy is where you see that whole concept being devalued. And then maybe there's gonna be you know, a little bit less of a demand in, in response to that. But uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that when a startup or one individual company does do that, they generally do just in the interest of kind of the marketing messaging that's gonna come with that and the campaigning behind that, um, which is gonna have considerable resources and economics behind it, uh, they kind of just focus on one thing and they will isolate one thing, right? No company is like, we're saving the earth in general <laughs> because that doesn't make for a very good soundbite or good ad copy, right? You're generally so saying- who, who would 
we should get that funded somehow. Right. Saving the earth in general as a... Saving the earth in general. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, we're sponsored we, by Saving the Earth in general. We are looking for startup capital. Startup capital, yeah. So if you're uh, a VC and you want to be part of our Series A. If you want to help us save the world in general. In general. Hit us up, savingtheworldingeneral.ca. Our, our number is 778-379-7175. Not a real number. I think it is. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Call it. Call it. Five five. Five 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 five. World. The world at savingtheworldingeneral.ca is the email. Dot the world. Perfect. Um, cool, guys. I okay. I think that was very kind of stimulating uh, a take on that, and uh, I hope that nobody listening thinks that we're coming at it from like an overly conspiratorial. Um, kind of perspective. Uh, I think Jess maybe is leaning a little bit <laughs> into, into the idea. She's uh, like a self. Um, she'd be the first to admit it seems that she, she's a little bit more how, leaning into that one, which is cool. How dare I be passionate about something? I'm not questioning your beliefs. I, I'm trying to point out that we're not all no. saying that. And there's different ways you can look at it. Totally. Yeah. Um, I personally, even from like the perspective of like media, I'm always hesitant to say that something is like like intentional and like it's vehicle nature and I always just think it's maybe a byproduct of mm-hmm. maybe positive intentions and just like a severe lack of <laughs> understanding of an issue at hand or just like an over over involvement of and I guess Matt kind of alluded to this too just you know like political um, intervention that is not properly geared or equipped to actually deal with the problem. Yeah, totally. I'm not like I'm not one to say, oh fuck it, use straws, take that plastic bag from the supermarket. Like I'm all for um cutting down on our use of those things. But um it doesn't hurt to look at things holistically as well and think about the fact that to pay off the resources that went into producing that cotton bag, you'll have to use that cotton bag seven thousand times. Fair. Um, so I think we should we should be cutting down on straws and we should be cutting down on single-use bags, mm-hmm. but we should not be letting up on the pressure that we're putting on legislation to be cha- creating that change from the top, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we think we that, all have a do responsibility? Do we think that the, the replacement of um, carbon-based <laughs> straws with uh, I'm seeing like <laughs> bam- <carbon> straws. <laughs> bamboo straws and things like that being put onto the marketplace. Right. Like, I'm seeing those replacements. Yeah. And then the biggest irony of it is, depending on who the supplier is of some of these things, mm-hmm. is they come shipped in little plastic wrappers. And it's just Slime. an absolute, like, completely missing the mark. And it's just the most wow. it's the most frustrating thing to see. That's yeah. Weird, right? Yeah. It's like, ironic. And you also have to question, though, how much went into making that metal straw and how much went into making that bamboo straw. Those those straws are really necessary for people who can't drink without a straw, for people who actually need those straws. And there are people out there who actually need straws. I, so I don't think banning completely... completely. I don't think completely banning straws is the answer because there are people with disabilities and with specific needs who absolutely require straws. Straws are useful, yeah, for sure. Um, but for for anyone... Who, anyone else? I think question question what went into question what goes into being environmentally friendly. Like, could we just could you, Chris? Could you, Mac? Just do without a straw, do without a bag. Can I carry what I'm like? I personally have learned to juggle quite well. So. <laughs> That's totally. how I will come from the supermarket. We're at, the, we're at the point where it's kind of an emergency. Yeah, and, and as far as like 
the environmental impact of this step. And to really do your, to be diligent is probably the, the best thing you can do aside from any specific behavior. Like really make sure you understand what's, what's right and wrong. And um, actually that's interesting. Like it, uh, this seems to me like it's like the first time in history where uh, the history of human civilization where like you have a material which is now at the forefront of a moral uh, dilemma for, for the whole entire civilization, right? So you have like Stone Age and everybody agreed that stones were amazing, right? <laughs> shout have, out stones. Fuck stones shout, today. Shout this episode brought to you by stones. <laughs> and they have, you know, then you have um, subsequent ages, they have the Bronze Age and the Iron Age and, and the uh, Steel and so on. And I'll, I would argue, or I'm probably, I mean, if we end up with history books after, after this, this, we'll probably remember this as like the plastic age, right? And um, in, in fact, thank you. So in fact, that material is, is, is really um, helped our civilization do uh, a, t- a ton of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's now, it kind of, yeah, now we find that this material is now at the center of a real, a big moral decision that the whole world has to make. Do, do we believe that producing this particular material is indeed uh, something that we ought to continue to do, right? And we don't really have uh, the system set up to stop things once we start doing them, right? Especially mm. if, they're, if they're useful. We don't, Such an ingrained part of our society. Yeah, we don't know how to even talk about that. Like, you know, when was the last time? It's, it's kind of this weird fundamental, this weird... A human tendency to like do do the thing that is easy, right? And plastic is certainly like much easier material to work with than um, than most other materials that you would use in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're we're in the plastic age, and we all have to decide how we feel about that material. And it's really a matter of what's right and, and wrong, really. I was going to say that next was going to be the ice age, where everything was made out of ice. But I think that might also have global warming connotations, which brings us back to our original point, <laughs> unintentionally. Right. Uh, yeah, totally. So, all right, we I think we kind of agree at the, at the round table, you know, but be critical, right? Don't let yourself just believe that you are making the biggest difference when you're making these incremental steps that maybe upon further review are actually um, just as bad, if maybe not worse, or just insignificantly better. Um, and let's really take a step. Is there anything maybe, so just final takeaway, like give us like a statement. What is something that you would urge someone to do to take action um, today, right now, as soon as they, you know, this podcast ends that actually might help make a better, better impact? We're not going to solve this crisis right now in the next 10 seconds, but um, burden of responsibility. Yeah, it's up to us. Um, (laughs) Are you talking specifically about What's some, what do you Carbon think? Carbon-based, hard material things. Well, um, yeah, it could be, could be that. It could be anything. I'm going to say um, just like for, right, right away, like, educate yourself. Yeah. Um, right? So I think that's it's so much less work than it needs to be uh, and just like a necessary first step. And just educate yourself. And then I would challenge anybody to then have those difficult conversations. Yeah. I think, yeah, educating yourself is a really important one. And the conversations can be difficult and they can alienate people. Um, I had a few friends back in New Zealand go vegan and that was a huge challenge for a lot of other friends to deal with that. And like some of my closest friends were very against like these specific people going vegan. And it was a difficult conversation for everyone, but slowly, slowly over the years, other people within our peer circle have started 
cutting down on their meat consumption or have gone vegan altogether. And that came from just very difficult conversations at the beginning, that initial storming stage of starting to introduce these ideas to people that haven't necessarily considered them before. And it just starts with a conversation and an education, right? So that's not to say that each individual person um, going plastic-free or going um, meat-free is going to make an impact. They're literally a drop in the ocean. But the more drops in the ocean there are, the more an ocean is formed. At the very least, a puddle, which someone might step in and think, oh, that's uncomfortable, and now my sock is wet. I'm going to do something about that. Nothing worse than a wet sock. Mm. Nobody likes a wet sock. Yeah, well, that's... <laughs> and that's what we take away from this, is that wet socks are bad. Dry your socks, people. It's gross for everyone around you, and especially Please your clean sock. up your puddles if you create messes. And don't leave them for other people to stand in. This episode brought to you by Wet Socks. <laughs> so it's a little bit of passive aggression from that last <laughs> couple. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for having to oh, sit wait. down and getting onto a good topic. Max, uh, Max, final for us. Oh, final did you have, sorry, point. I, thought, I felt like we went there. That's okay. Max, make a final point. No, make a point. Max, gonna take. Make a point, Max. Yeah. No. Th- say th- words. Max, a point. Thanks for that. Um, I don't know if I have a final point, so it's probably better if we just skip. I, it's it's final a, round. The reason why it's a hard problem is because it's a, it, it's a hard problem, right? So. Um, what what can you do? I don't know. But I think I think we're you and we're not going to use this part. So no, <laughs> it's all good. No, Mac. I think you you already are taking those first steps. Like you share articles into our public into our like ch- chat channels. Sure. And, you, like and s- that what that does is when you when you share something and I read it, or even if I just read the headline, it keeps it front of mind for me, and it reminds me when I go and get a coffee to um, take a mug with me, which I forgot today. I'm not going to blame you for not sharing anything today, but I did forget to bring my mug. Um, no, when you share content into the our, like chat channels, it keeps it front of mind for me and for our students as well and for our other staff. I think keeping that conversation going, you're playing a really important part in what you're doing already. Shout out you. Cool, yeah, thanks. Um, it's, it's important, um, and we're in the plastic age, so uh, we have to decide whether it's right or wrong. Um, in my opinion... Uh, oh, sorry. I, I don't mean right or wrong. We have to decide whether we we think that material is is uh, something we should keep producing or something that has a net harmful effect on on uh, on life. And and then pr- start every conversation about the material after you make that decision, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you don't need to feel like a total piece of crap um, for you know coming to realize that maybe some of the things that you thought you were feeling great about mm. uh, maybe are not that great. But you just really also just shouldn't feel amazing about it either because. Upon further review. It's better than nothing. It's better than to nothing use, for sure. To use a cotton bag is better than nothing. Yeah, so you're still a little bit of a hero, but don't let that stop you from becoming an even greater hero. One that does the right thing the right way. <laughs> the hero we need. Cool. All right, well, uh, thanks everyone for listening too. I know that this went on for a little bit, and I hope that there were some opinions that you shared and maybe some things that you thought were really interesting. Um, tell us if you tell us if you disagree. Yeah, like we want to definitely like tell us what you think. Start that rant, start the conversation with us. Like fight dis- back if you need to. The discussion can only lead to, I think, Keep a better going. understanding. Yeah, yeah. and the in, in the future we're gonna we'll have to have this discussion at large, uh, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Maybe, so we turn our, our three-person discussion here into a, a three-million-person discussion, and then we go from there. Cool. All right. Well, uh, tune in next time when we talk about... Other things. Other things. <laughs> and, uh, and Jess, who was the sponsor for the, uh, for the final closing remarks of this episode? 
This episode was brought to you by that picture of a dog sitting full in a kiddie pool full of tennis balls. <laughs> <laughs>